Hi and welcome to this podcast with me, Geeta Joshi. I'm an art dealer, a curator and the producer for Camboil Arts Open Studios. I'm here today with one of my colleagues, Debbie. Welcome, Debbie. Hi, Geeta. So why don't you tell people about your role within Camboil Arts? Well, I organise the arts markets with Camberwell Arts and um, we have quite a range of artists and makers in Camberwell. Uh, so our markets tend to have a mix of prints, jewellery, textile, crafts, upcycling. And when, when do they take place? We usually have two markets a year. We have in the past uh, attempted four markets, but it does stretch us somewhat. But two markets a year, one in the summer festival in June and another in winter, taking advantage of the Christmas shopping. We also run the occasional market. Um, the extra ones might be at Easter or we have done Valentine's Day as uh, a market that people are interested in. And is that, that sometimes because we've had funding or we've been asked to put them on in different venues, right? Mostly it's because we've had funding that we've put on the extra markets. I think that other venues we've been experimenting with generally. And um, what about where, where the markets take place then? Because sometimes they're indoors, outdoors. Do you have a preference or do you know what works better? It's really hard to say what works better. When we have one outdoors, it does have to be in good weather because it's very difficult for traders to be dealing with both the weather and uh, bad weather and with other, any other difficult circumstances that may come along. But I think that if there are other activities going on at the same time, that is the, the optimal occasion. So it could be that you have workshops going on or that there's musicians, buskers, or a regular farmer's market is also a draw. Okay, so... So really the, the arts market, um, also known as craft fairs, I think, just given our audiences all over the place, they could, they're known as the same thing really, aren't they? Mm. That these sort of markets actually complement other activities. That's kind of when they work best, isn't it? It is. I think when they're in isolation, it's a lot harder to draw people to the event. Okay. So you've organised quite a lot of markets in the last year or two, and... I wanted to ask what you think makes a good market in terms of traders. What are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for variety um, overall. And that could be if you have all the same kind of trader, for let's say jewellery, that you want a real variety of jewellery. Or you want a variety of different trades and designs. I think that uh, we're also looking for price points that are not too high because people who are just coming off the street in a ad hoc manner probably don't have quite a high um, uh, amount to spend. I also remember that when I was doing some trading earlier in the past, I would find that I was not selling anything for perhaps the first few hours and then in the last hour I might sell about £400 worth of goods and that was mostly because people were looking around testing what they want and then finally deciding that they did want to buy something now obviously the 400 pounds wasn't a 
one item, it was several items, but you have to allow for people to ponder over what it is that they're buying if it is a higher price point. So, yeah, so the whole market experience, I mean, because the visitors come for an experience, they come to see new and different things that maybe they've not seen before. So it's really about their visitor experience, isn't it, actually, where they're sort of given time to sort of view and browse. That's where, you know, what, what are you saying, around the sort of 50, 30 to £50 pound mark, um, after anything sort of higher than that becomes a more considered I, purchase they want to think about. I think that's very much the case. I think there's also something quite strong about the experience of the traders being having a connection with the market itself. So in Camberwell Arts, we have um, quite a strong connection with Camberwell itself. That may not be the case in other markets, but there may be something that is a particular draw that is a personal draw for the customer. Okay. So in summary, what makes a good market, do you think, or what are you, the sort of markets that you're trying to put on, what are you trying to achieve with that? Mostly a good market is something that has a really good variety of products on offer. And those could be scents, it could be uh, soaps, it could be jewellery, printmaking, in all its diverse forms. Things that are upcycled are very popular. Clothing and uh, handbags and... So that's really giving the visitor really. a choice of sort of lots of things to choose from. So you're most likely at that stage going to get you know, something in that market is going to appeal to most people that come in, right? I, I think that the whole idea is that there will be something for some, everybody yeah. and not just people who are interested in one particular thing. Okay, great. So when it comes to applications from makers and artists, what are you looking for? Well, mostly we're looking for this wide variety of products to offer and... We'd like to have a very well-rounded market experience from both sides of the market stall. Both the trader needs to be able to give a good range of materials and price point, and the customer wants to be able to see well-presented and really attractive materials and something unique, particularly okay. things that you're not going to find in any high street store. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the draws of arts markets and craft fairs where you know people that are coming to to buy at those things are actually looking for something new and unique or something they haven't seen before. Very true. So when it comes to the applications for people wanting to sell at the arts market, what are the sort of issues that you face? Well, the hardest part is really being able to visualize what it is that the what the product is and we always ask for images so that we can reproduce them in all our social media and marketing and sometimes the image really isn't good enough it's either not high res enough or it really doesn't um, sell the the product well enough and this is when we're trying to uh, put it into a brochure we may only be able to put in an image of about a postage stamp size and having too much in that image is not going to be, not going to sell your product well enough. Yeah, when it's sort of filled, you know, when the image is got sort of other things around it or there's too much clutter or something like that. 
So do you think like the best images for? I don't know. I mean, like the ones I've seen, I think they always have like just a single product, usually you know in a clean space. I mean, is that what works best? Do you think? I think it does work best. I know from my own experience of selling at a market that I tried to put far too much into an image and then had to replace that image at a later date. Well, that's really difficult for the organizer to keep having to change the images when they're getting ready to print the documents. So it's much better to have a good, clean image with one strong product in it. Yeah. I mean, the, the images we... Uh, that, that's just the one that usually that they need to submit because that goes in our print collateral. But, you know, the other images that are more merchandised and styled, you know, they do have a place for sure. And that's often on the artist's own website. Sometimes we use them on our social media as well. But I think with applications, really, it's just that one with the, um, yeah, just one thing that really represents what that um, maker is making or their, their style or their aesthetic, I think. And then, of course, there is the written description that we ask generally for no more than 50 words. And that really is important. To be too little is not really giving your product enough of a hard sell. But to have too much is sometimes just waffle. And so it's quite important to have something that is short, pithy, and very much to the point probably giving a tiny bit of a backstory to what it is that you sell. Yeah, I think, I mean, that wordy thing is, is really interesting because it needs to really, well, sell the the maker as an independent maker and so on. And again, this usually goes in the brochure and it's what we use on our social media. So it does need to explain, you know, why this work is interesting or why it's unique or why it's different to, you know, if it's ceramics, for example, why it's different to other ceramics, you know, what it is that this artist does, but there's quite a knack to making that succinct, actually. And, I agree. Um, I think, yeah, that's uh, it's always a work in progress, I think, for a lot of artists, that part to them. Okay, so we changed the application process this year, and I think it's made it much more efficient. The original format was to apply, and then you'd be selected, and then the artist would be invoiced and um, they would turn up on the day. But we changed this around so they had to pay up front during the application. And then anybody that was not selected would be refunded by a certain date, which was about a week after the application deadline. I think this has really made things easier for us as organisers because we don't now spend time, well, sending invoices, but also chasing those invoices. And... Uh, so we know soon after the applications close who's going to be trading, and we can get on with that work around the promotion. Have you had any objections to the arrangement this way around? No, I have to admit that it has made it a lot easier not having to do the follow-up chasing of, of invoices. I think that the artists and makers really need to understand that they're entering into a business arrangement, and even if we are a charity... We're not making any profit out of this. We're volunteers who are um, spending our time doing this. And so we need to make it as smooth and efficient as possible. Yeah. And I think this process actually also reminds artists they're taking on being a business themselves as well, right? I mean, it's moving them out of, um, certainly for the ones that um, are trading for the first time, it's actually moving them out of just um, doing a hobby or a leisure activity into 
something a bit more in the business space. And I think there's also something about uh, making a commitment. Once you have paid your fee, you're making a definite commitment. Whereas I think when the follow-up invoices were being sent out, there was still a sort of off chance that they weren't really committed to yeah, something. If they were still on the fence a bit and things, yeah. And and for the traders, the the market is about selling and making money and getting their name out there. And it's very important that um, they realise that Camberwell Arts aren't making a profit on the markets, but that we are actually subsidising the money that we get from them for their pitch fee is subsidising their their stalls. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of the other things that need to go into that, right, such as the equipment hire mm. and um, you know, printed um, promotion and all that sort of thing as well. Because at the moment, we are still one of the lowest price markets around South London. I would say we probably are. And I would think that a lot of the other markets are quite professionally done, which is fine, uh, but we are a, a completely volunteer-led charity. Yeah, and I think a lot of the other uh, markets that are around, are, they're actually more regular, which is probably why they have, they appear to be more professional, because they mm. just sort of appear, um, you know, monthly, whether it's down in West Norwood or, um, you know, some of these other ones, mm. that, um, yeah, they just have a regular schedule throughout the year, and that's actually the main work for those organisers as well. But, um, you know, we often have trade makers and um, traders who are selling for the first time. And that's one of the things I really like about the Campbell Arts Market is that we do try and give opportunities for people who are sort of moving into selling. Um, but if they've been selling online, then this is, might be their first or second time selling um, in person. So I think, I mean, our markets are pretty small. Yes, they are small. We have um, we could have had about twenty five traders as a maximum if we'd had the space for them at for one time for, for the, the winter uh -huh. for the Christmas Christmas market. But of the those twenty five, I would say about six or seven were completely new to to trading, and that was a really good experience for them. So, yeah, I mean, with them being small, I think they're really good ones to start out with. And I think if anybody's looking to move from if they've been selling online and actually now want to try and have that in-person experience selling at a craft fair, then, you know, looking for a small market to start with is a really good way to get into it and not overwhelm yourself as well. Yes, I would agree with that. And the, um, the pitch fee, our low-cost pitch fee, is probably uh, much more aimed at those new traders right yeah well it's quite easy to recover the um the, you know the investment that they've made in yes you know taking the day to do that market so this season i've been around loads of markets and loads of open studios and it's been great because i already know so many makers and artists that i've been able to go out and see them at all the different um, venues that they've been trading and it, what I really like is actually seeing that when their experience grows, they start knowing the equipment that they need and they set up really interesting stalls that just have really nice visual appeal from across the room and things as well. And I know many design, um, many artists actually have even designed their own displays and things or fashioned them out of things like vintage suitcases or toys. You know, there was um, a studio I went to where 
they had these big sort of um, 50 centimeter high dinosaurs, but they had the jewelry like bangles and things draped on them. So it's yeah, it's really nice to see. It sounds um, wonderful. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. I think. But this is one of the things that um, are also transportable, you know, in the displays that people set up, um, the equipment they need to set up their store wherever they are, and sort of staying on brand. Um, what do you find works good visually on a stand? And, you know, what are the sort of things people typically forget or bring too much of? Well, I think that what is quite difficult for some traders is staying within their one table space oh, yeah, yeah. and they often think that they can bring an awful lot of extra side things but there's not always the space and particularly when there's an internal an indoor market we can be very pushed for space on that another aspect but, uh, can I just sort yes. of, um, add to that like one of the ways that you kind of get around that a little bit is by having height yes and of course that also adds to the visual appeal of the stand right so uh, you know, you get these sort of perspex cubes and things like that where they can sort of stack up things. The idea of the suitcase on its side as well. Yes. You know, that was sort of opened up. So, yeah, I think it, it lends, I think there's scope for creativity. I think there's a lot of scope for creativity. Things, yeah, and using height, you know, certainly if you can't have more than whatever that is, three or four feet um, table width. But yeah, go on, sorry. Well, saying. the other thing I think is lighting. Mm -hmm. um, certainly in winter markets, when whether you're outdoors or indoors, when, when the evenings draw in, it gets harder and harder to see what the products are. Yeah. And I think that good lighting is critical to anyone's market stall. And I think also actually indoors as well, if, um, you know, one of the markets I went to, which was, it was a really lovely market, but, and it was in a museum and the stalls were set up in the circulation space. But um, even there, which you would have thought was indoors and you know really well lit, but even there, some of the stalls could have done with just that extra lighting that was just focused on their stall and their stand. So I, I think, yeah, lights would definitely be a good investment. Of course, when you are outdoors, it's not always possible to have access to an energy source. So you do have to consider either solar-powered or... Um, Battery or battery, yes. Yeah, the battery-operated ones are good because even indoors, you might not actually be next to a socket. So you know that's, that's true. And trailing trailing wires is a health and safety issue that you really mustn't um, contravene. Okay, so yeah, battery-operated lights. So that's what everybody needs to have in their arsenal of um, market stall trading. Yes. So we've actually got some um, notes, a, a checklist that you can download for makers and artists that are looking to trade at markets. Um, it's a checklist of all the things and the equipment that you'd need on the day, so we'll put that in the show notes below. So what else do you think, Debbie, that artists and makers can do to make their market experience better? Well, I think that there's something about uh, the personality and welcome that a trader will give to the uh, the customer. Yeah, so true. So the tr trader themselves need to feel comfortable, probably have a seat, not always provided, so they may want to bring a, a folding chair, staying warm or cool in the environment that they're in, and having access or bringing in some food in case they're the only person who is on that stall. Yeah. 
definitely having business cards to hand out because people may not want to buy that product at that time. But this is your real showcase opportunity and having uh, giving out your card which shows the product that you have, I think is really yeah. important. And I think, you know, actually the business cards, well, you know, there's some sort of people that say that, you know, you just get these sort of people that come around and collect business cards and postcards or whatever it is that you have um, displaying your merch. But actually, you still quite often get um, new Instagram or Twitter followers from that because, that, you know, that's written out on your card. And uh, if they've liked what they've seen, they'll still kind of engage with you a little bit beyond. I think that also, uh, from experience before, that other people who run markets are also picking up business cards of the products that they like. And so what you may find is that someone will come up to you a few months later and said, I saw you at such and such a market, and would you like to trade at our market? Yeah, that's really nice when that happens, actually. I think that's definitely how people's experience grows, and that's how they grow their network, actually Mm. getting to know other traders and recognizing who they're peer group is whose work you know somebody might be making candles but it might sit really nicely next to somebody making you know soaps or earrings or something so yeah that's definitely one of the ways um yeah they grow their networks around markets and i think being really friendly towards the customer engaging them in conversation liking something that they're wearing or noticing something that they're doing and having a, a small conversation because If you're completely silent, just waiting for the customer to engage with you, you may have quite a a dull experience yourself. And I think it's not necessarily going to draw the customer back to you if they've seen something. There's nothing worse from the trader's point of view is seeing people just walking past, just graze their eyes, grazing your table (laughs) and walking on because... You think, well, they haven't had a chance to see what it is that you're selling. I know, but I, I definitely think there's something there in, you know, that rapport building, isn't there? It's like, you know, giving them a smile, asking them a question, you know, letting them handle, you know, the products, all these sort of things. Yes. I think. Yeah, or, you know, just having a really a sort of visually stimulating stall as well, obviously. When I was doing a stall quite early on, I used to have a bowl of sweets, mm. and I thought I would just aim for the child and get the parent along afterwards. Do them in after, yeah. <laughs> it's always good. You may not want to do sweets, of course. You may want to just give the child stickers. <laughs> so when um, artists and makers trade at uh, the arts markets, they it's usually, I kind of consider it more of a collaboration and a a partnership where both sides are marketing. So I just want to talk a little bit about marketing and promoting yes. the events. So what um, any issues that you face there or what would you suggest? Well, I think that the wonderful thing about the markets is that we do have up to 20 or so different networks from each of the market traders. And that really is quite an exponential expansion of who we can reach. So the more that the traders can do reaching their own networks, the more we're able to bring in customers from all different walks of yeah. life. I, I, don't, I just don't think um, you know it, it works when traders expect the organizers to do 
be fully responsible for promotion and marketing. It just doesn't work like that. Um, I think it is something that everybody that's taking part needs to do. So that can be both the traders, but it could also be the venue maybe yes. as well. And um, yeah, I mean, I think there's some really quick little things people can do, like um, you know, putting the dates and location on their Instagram header, and you know, tweeting and retweeting, and um, obviously the other sort of Facebook things um, and Instagram. But also, actually, one of the things I came across was when I see people saying on Facebook that they're going to be at a certain market, and then I try and share that page. It doesn't share because they, I don't know, set it to private or something. So just sort of being a bit uh, vigilant about how, that you know, that you're making posts that are shareable yes. across different people as well. So, you know, across your personal page, if you have one, as well as a, a business page. And then there's the obvious things like Pinterest and, and Eventbrite as well is always good. But word of mouth is really one of the, the best um, ways of getting people in, I think. I you think know, it you need is. To be telling everybody, you know, everybody that you work with and that you come across in every coffee shop <laughs> you go into on the weeks running up to it. I think that's true. And it's very often helpful when you see that there's a, a flyer or a brochure um, promoting in the local cafes and businesses that you can use that as a, a way of talking to other people about yeah. it. I think that when you are doing something within this, a school or a, a church, you've obviously got your parents' networks to expand the reach. And that's very fortunate. And Camberwell Arts has its own mailing list but it really needs to go beyond the mailing yeah, list. yeah I mean I always encourage the artists to actually because they all have their own mailing list as well so we definitely encourage them to be sending out at least a couple of mm. emails uh, you know before the event so let's talk about um, when people are looking to trade um, at a market or craft fair what should they be looking for so certainly somebody um, starting out maybe they've been selling online or maybe they haven't but they want to have that first sort of trading experience in person. What what do you think are the sort of pr uh, things that they should look out for to, to make sure that they that first market they go and sell at is a good fit for their product? I would say that going to as many markets, uh, visiting them as the customer, uh, as you possibly can, and having these questions in mind, would your work fit alongside the things on sale? Do the customers fit the profile of your ideal customer? Have a look around. Is the price point of your work, of the work on sale, similar to your work? And does that fit? Yeah, because you, you don't want to be selling something super cheap if everything else is significantly higher priced. Right? Yes. It would just all be out of balance, I think. I think also look at how people are presenting their work and be quite critical of it, thinking, well, I wouldn't want my work to be seen in that way, but maybe I could do it in another way, so that you are not making all the same mistakes of things that you've already seen. Yeah, I mean, I think the researching, actually visiting as many markets as you can with your, you know, with these sort of questions in mind around being the right fit, you know, is the market attracting the right sort of people that would buy the thing that you make? Um, the price point and accessibility as well. Actually, you know, is is it easy there, easy enough to get and set up? Yes, you know, you've had 
Um, oh yes, the logistics yeah. of of um, carload of mm. of products, and sometimes it's really not easy to bring a car close to where the market is. So you do need to be very mobile in how how you bring your products and your display to the event. Yeah. So yeah, there's quite a few considerations about um, that, and then obviously. You know, you can also be looking at, you know, what sort of promotion the organisers are doing. You know, think about where you heard about that market mm. as well. You know, um, you know, you can also be speaking to the traders as well. And, um, yeah, and, and really sort of checking if that is the right peer group for you as well, I guess. Yes. I think there's also, um, it's just occurred to me that if you have some items that are perhaps discounted, then that draws people immediately to your store and you're able to sell the others at at their full price but it's it's something that they're going to notice straight away yeah i mean that that's about sort of yeah how the stand is displayed right yes yeah. sure okay well thank you debbie so much for coming in and talking about arts markets i hope that has given our listeners lots of things to think about and Lots of reasons to get to trading at arts markets, craft fairs, and to be selling in person directly. Because, of course, one of the other advantages here is that you really actually get to meet your customers. You really get to understand them better. And so you can tailor any other things later on, like your marketing copy or your emails and things. You grow your list directly. Um, so you, you know, you've got more people to reach out to when you've done more, when you have products down the line. But I think it also... Um, it's just one of those experiences that is is so different to selling online only that um, you know you really start then building this network as well, which I really like, and I think that really helps um, you know during the sort of quiet times of year when there aren't any markets, just to sort of keep your uh, business sort of um, bubbling and you know keeping that motivation going as well. So yeah, they're really good, um, really good bits of advice. Thank you, Debbie, so much for coming in. Thank you. And just to remind you once more that we do have a checklist for makers and artists who are looking to sell at markets for all the equipment that you need to take on the day. You can find that in the show notes below if you just um, follow the link.